Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gagan Pressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and as always, we'll run through the Bundesliga match day results. Okay, starting on Friday night, we've seen Schalke 2, Union Berlin 1, into Saturday, Paderborn 2, RB Leipzig 3, Köln 1, Augsburg 1, Hertha Berlin 1, Borussia Dortmund 2, Hoffenheim 1, Fortuna Dusseldorf 1, late kickoff game was Bayern Munich 1, Bayer Leverkusen 2. Into Sunday, Borussia Mönchengladbach 4, Freiburg 2, Wolfsburg 2, Werner Bremen 3. And on Monday night, the final game of the match day was Mainz 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 1. So, joining me, as always, is the football grad creator and Forbes uh, contributor, Manu Vett. Manu, how's your week been? Yeah, it's been a busy one, Bryce. Champions League action, Bundesliga action, um, lots and lots of football to cover. But yeah, that's always good. How about you? Yeah, pretty good. It was a, another exciting match day that we can talk plenty, uh, well, about many a teams. But also just look at that table eh, that we mentioned before we came on air. Really exciting, really interesting. This is what we've wanted for, for so long. But joining Manu and I as uh, another Forbes uh, contributor, but also football journalist, Chris Williams. Chris, how's your week been? Just as busy as Manu's? Yes, it has. Uh, Bryce, thank you very much. Yeah, been busy week. Was um, covered Tottenham on Tuesday for the ICC. Then I was over in Liverpool on Wednesday for their game against Napoli, which seems like um, a, a lifetime ago now. Um, and then I was out in Germany for um, Hertha Berlin against Borussia Dortmund on Saturday. Yeah, I couldn't agree more that those Champions League games do seem like a lifetime ago, don't they? It just goes to show you how much uh, football goes on the weekend. And let's delve right into this uh, Bundesliga match day. And we'll start with the Friday night game where we've seen David Wagner's Schalke beat Union Berlin 2-1. Um, very much a tale of two sides that have been uh, punching above their weight um, this season. Uh, I don't think we expected either of them to do as well. But a little bit of controversy in this win for uh, David Wagner, Manu. Um, as we've seen, um, VAR is ever too present, it seems, in topics and football these days. But uh, it was overlooked for a... Um, a 
what seems like a dive anyway uh, for Union Berlin to then score a penalty in this game. And that seems to be um, the main focus uh, of attention. But I feel once we've touched on this, we we really need to um, talk about Schalke and how good they've been. So let's talk about that penalty first. Yeah, both Chris and I, we chatted about that during the game. Um, When you look back at the scene, and I think Cortina's Erben, very popular Twitter account in Germany covering everything referee-related, and it's it's a very good account. Unfortunately, it's it's mostly in, in German, but I think they right away tweeted that this this was a wrong call. And Chris, we talked about this. We were both very surprised that the team didn't even look at this again because you you look at it. There is there is I think marginal contact, but it, if either um, he looks for the contact, which doesn't qualify for a penalty, or, or I don't even see much of a contact at all, he definitely falls very very easily. And um, looking back at this, you know, for me. I still am confused why the referee team did not look at this penalty because this was the easiest non-penalty decision given the technology available to them that they could have made. And I, I saw a couple of Schalke accounts afterwards tweeting like, look, um, saying, well, we were all in favor of VAR because of the Timo Werner dive a few years ago, right? Where they were very hard done by. And even though all this technology is now available, they still missed it. Yeah, it was disappointing. Um, I think we'd be disappointed for Schalke fans. Uh, was it was a poor? I thought the whole refereeing performance, the performance of the officials in that game was pretty poor, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, mean, I remember we spoke privately, and, and you said you thought they should all be sacked. I'm I'm not far behind that. Um, I know that was a tongue in cheek um, response, but yeah, it was poor. Um, and considering you know VARs there. Um, for major decisions, it'll never be used for stuff like corners, etc., and neither should it be. Um, but for match-changing decisions, it, it should be reviewed when there's a clear and obvious error. Uh, it doesn't get more clear and obvious of an error that for me, especially when you look at the footage. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was it was a mistake, and it was a big mistake. But it's um, I think. We're maybe in danger a little bit. If you look at some of the, the VAR decisions, the one this evening as we record this in the um, Frankfurt game um, for Mainz's second goal in inverted commas, which was chalked off because the ball was out of play. Excellent use, quite fast as well. Referee didn't need to look at the um, side monitor because it's a positional. It's, it's like offside, ball in and out of play. doesn't need to look at the um, side monitors for that. So there have been good uses of it. But occasionally, refereeing teams will get it wrong. But referees will always make mistakes. It's the fact, though, that there's a VAR and a VAR assistant there. They should be able to spot a mistake, and it shouldn't really happen. Not not of that caliber, um, especially now, not, what, three, four seasons in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you mentioned the game that we saw tonight. The, the Frankfurt game, um, I thought that was perfect, but that's Manuel Grefe. You know, he's one of the best referees, maybe the best referee in the Bundesliga. Daniel Schlager and his referee team, I, I'm just surprised why there was no call from Köln. You know, the famous bunker in Cologne where they're sitting in, the referees, five or six monitors in front of them. There's a picture that Kicker has up, um, the magazine, where you clearly can see that... Um, Robert Andrich falls and then has contact with um, Matija Nastasic's um, leg. And that's that's an easy one to spot. I mean, if there's a photo of it, then the replay should have seen it too. 
Guys, uh, let's um, talk a little bit um, about just how well Schalke have done this season. I think uh, we were all guilty uh, from the off saying that, you know, it would be a step too far for Schalke to um, possibly get into the Champions League. Possibly Europe might be um, more suited for them as they hadn't a great season last year. Um, obviously, the coaching change seems to be uh, paying off rather well, doesn't it, Chris? Uh, I mean, th- this is the... A, a bit of a run that they're going on. They they haven't lost since uh, against Hoffenheim on the 20th of October and we're now into December. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to, <clears throat> excuse me, watch them live a couple of times this season um, and they played excellent. Um, first was um, way back on one of the early match days against Paderborn where um, they weren't particularly good first half, but David Wagner's got this ability to to tinker, um, and I say that in the nicest possible way, at half-time and, and get a result turned around, and he's done that. Um, then the next time I was there for the Revere Derby against Borussia Dortmund, where they were fantastic and should have taken all three points, really. Um, VAR decision possibly did them out of a, a Stonewall penalty that day as well. Um, so I can see why Schalke fans aren't particularly happy at that. But back on to what David Wagner's done, he's come in and he's just changed the whole mentality of of the club from top to bottom um i was lucky enough to interview Jochen schneider a couple of um weeks ago maybe a month ago now um where he said um on that article i did for forbes that he thought that wagner was the perfect fit and and you can see that now because he gets the idea of the club he gets the idea of the region he knows what they want to play football he knows how they want to play football um, and when I spoke to Mr. Schneider, I said, what's the key aim for this season? And, and he said all that they wanted to do, all that Schalke want is for them to play a better brand of football than they saw under Domenico Tedesco. Um, and, and, and that has been brewing for the last couple of seasons. They want to return to that exciting, fast, high-pressing style of football, which is routinely throughout Europe now, and especially the Bundesliga. They wanted to see that, and that would be progressive um, forward movement for them enough. Um, it just so happens that they're playing that type of football. Um, and at one point, they were second on, on Friday night before Saturday's game. So they're doing exceptionally well. Um, they're a big club, of course. We've spoke on this podcast many a times, the third biggest club in Germany by membership after Bayern and Dortmund. They are a, a traditionally um, a giant of German football, although they haven't won the Bundesliga for a very long time. Traditionally, you know, back before the creation of the league, massive club, massive fixture. Um, whenever they play, they played in the um, latter stages of the Champions League. So for them to be third after match day 13 is an indication that the club's maybe getting back to the level it was four or five seasons ago. You're looking at a team that could go and take on Real Madrid in the Bernabeu. I think we're starting to see um, that that type of Schalke come back, a strong Schalke, and that's good for the league, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's um, been a long time since we've seen a really good Schalke side. Yes, two years ago under Tedesco, we've seen them get second in the Bundesliga. But as you said, Chris, it it wasn't very pretty, was it? And last year they got um, rather fined out. Um, Manu, if if we talk a little bit more about Schalke, I suppose the question is, you know, what's the limit here? I mean, there's... Sitting in a very nice position up in third, that's in a Champions League uh, position. Uh, it is very early days. It's still only thirteen games, and they're still in the Pokal as well. well. What exactly do you think Schalke can achieve this season? 
You know, um, everyone who I speak to privately who works in the Bundesliga, and I, I had the chance to speak to a few people about Schalke and the changes that they made, you know, getting rid of people like Heidel and his support staff. Um, that wasn't necessarily the best fit for the club. And bringing in people like Schneider, Chris knows him well because he's interviewed him and, and really brought in a mentality change um, to this club. And I think... David Wagner as well coming in and just putting in all the pieces into the right place. I, I think there's a, there's a lot there already. Um, will sound a bit like a broken record by saying this, but they desperately need a striker if they want to stay in this top four. And I think Chris, did Schneider hint something to you about that in that interview? Um, he, he he wouldn't. I asked him um, a, a direct question, um, which he he wouldn't answer. Fair enough um, for for various reasons, um, which which I won't go into now. But I think we could take it from from a roundabout conversation that um, they they know they may have a little bit of trouble at the moment scoring goals, um, and they do have um, a squad uh, with some actual you know bona fide goal scorers in there. They're just not firing on all cylinders at the moment. Um, you know, Guido Bergsall is not doing as particularly well as he could. Mark Oot's not uh, firing as much. You know, Ahmed Kucci's a good player, but he's not been getting the goals that we would like to have seen um, from for him playing at Schalke. Um, there, there was a hint that they know that there is not a problem, but there's a situation where they're not scoring enough goals. I, I think it's somewhere between they want to see if David Wagner can coach it um, and fix it, or if they do actually need to go out and buy a striker um, in the winter window. But they, they wouldn't give me the exclusive hours after. No, that's too bad. Because I do think that is the piece missing. If they want to stay in that top four. I mean, we're only four games away from, from the winter break, right? And then you can, you can do things in the winter. There is players available. There is players available that want to leave the club. Um, you know, players that can give you that little bit extra edge in scoring. And I, I think, Bryce, that is... You saw it against Union where they were a much better side. But Benito Rahman, um, who I think is an excellent player, by the way. There's nothing... I think he's a he's a fantastic signing that they got him from Fortuna. I, I really like the signing. But he, he had the number nine on his back, but he's not a number nine. And I think that is that is the piece that they're missing at the moment. And that's that's why I'm really curious to see if they're going to do something in that department because that could really propel on their season. I think, Manu, that when I asked the question, um, it was, uh, no, I don't think we're going to be in the market for a striker, but it was said with a smile oh, on the yeah, face. Okay. So um, you can <laughs> probably take it from that, that they are in the market for a striker. They just didn't want to admit it to the journalist that was sitting in front of them. Yeah, and that's fair. And I think we'll probably see them do something in that department. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, looking at their squad at the moment, you've got your know, Harrod on six, you've got Sirdar on five, Kabat two, Sane two, and then Raman that you mentioned, Manu, on two as well. Everyone else, and I mean four other players, have one goal each. So that you know, all the players I mentioned, none of which are strikers at all. So they they really need to address this, don't they? Because defensively, they've got the third best defense in the league at the moment. So things aren't too bad um they've got a tough enough run in uh, coming up before the winter break four more games it's going to be interesting to see where they're sitting come that 
break around the Christmas period. But, guys, uh, let's talk about, um, well, some big news um, in the coaching department um, in Berlin, where we've seen uh, Jürgen Klinsmann take over Hertha Berlin. Um, yeah, very, very big news, um, exciting. You're the former national team um, coach and one time at uh, Bayern Munich. Um, Manu, if, if we go to you uh, first on this, um, I suppose... Uh, for anyone listening in, because um, I've had a few people ask me uh, this week, um, just how well was um, Klinsmann received, first of all, as a player? What was his reputation like in Germany? Second of all, as a coach? Uh, and third of all, you know, how excited were the people of Berlin about this appointment? That, that's a lot of good questions. Um, let's start maybe with the, the buzz that it produced, because it did, and... I think there's always been, especially from the, the tenure, his last tenure in the United States, but also his tenure at Bayern, um, got the United States, of course, to a quarterfinal of a World Cup, which is a big achievement given the state of, of that national team. And um, I think still think that he would have qualified with the United States for that World Cup that they did not qualify hadn't they pulled the trigger. I think what people always forget when they sign someone like Jürgen Klinsmann is that they're not actually signing a traditional coach. They're signing more like a manager like it is in the English game, right? Um, in Germany, most coaches do the coaching. And um, at certain clubs at Bayern, that, that, for example, was a massive disaster because of the structure of the club. I spoke last week about the fact that at Bayern, you need to be um, more of a mentor to the players rather than, um, you know, a big personality, manager personality. So that clashed big time. I, he's more of a project leader. And you see that with the appointments that he has um, brought in at Hertha. He, you know, he comes in and he brings in Alexander Nuri, a former Bundesliga head coach, Markus Feltan um, as an interim, Andreas Köpke, the German national team um, goalkeeper coach, is currently on loan at the club as well. Um, Friedrich, Marvin Friedrich, former national team player. He's also on the coaching team. You know, it's a, it's a big squad. He brought in his own, his own uh, fitness trainers, etc. He's he's a project leader. He will do very little in terms of actual coaching, very little in terms of actual tactical. It's more of a figurehead, someone who oversees a project. And I think that's the number one thing that people have to understand when they sign someone like Jürgen Klinsmann, he will be someone who can get things on track. When he came um, and take, took over Germany in 2004, he restructured the entire German Football Association, right? All the structures that we had that led to the World Cup, Germany winning the World Cup 10 years later, were because of structures that he brought in. So he's very good in that. You get you get a project leader, not necessarily a coach. And I think that is that is something that's something that actually hurt him in the United States because when he started run getting running in with the MLS, that's how he eventually would lose his job. Um, so I think that is a lot of people underestimate his ability to run a project like that. Now, in terms of what it has created for the league, I think it's it's great for the league to have Jürgen Klinsmann back. He's a legend. He's um, a player that has won the World Cup, the European Championship, um, has scored many, many beautiful goals in the Bundesliga. He, with Bayern Munich, he won the, the German title. He 
at one point had the record for the most goals scored in the UEFA Cup back when it was, in my opinion, still a very big competition, right? When he won it with Bayern. He's he's an absolute legend. And to have him back in the league is just a very, in my opinion, a very good thing. Had it been just as the a member of the board, and I think Chris can talk a bit more about this because he uh, wrote a really excellent article on this on Forbes, how Klinsmann you know, was actually supposed to be a board member at first, right? And basically, he has now been appointed to rescue the investments made by Lars Windhorst. Yeah, that's that's right, Manu. And um, thanks very much for that. I, I mean, I will say that I built on an excellent article that you also wrote on the on the same um, topic um, about uh, when Windhorst came in originally. So, uh, yeah, so Klinsmann's come in, um, but he was he was. Um, nominated to the supervisory board at first he, he wasn't meant to be the coach they already had the coach that they wanted in um, and um, Ante Kovic but it, it's not worked out he obviously dismissed midweek and Klinsman's come in to that um, dugout he's come down the stairs taken his suit off um, put his casuals on and, and taken his, his seat in the dugout um, I think Bryce everybody was really excited Um uh, because I was in the stadium on Saturday for the game against Borussia Dortmund, everyone was excited. Uh, there was a lot of talk in a press area beforehand um, about you know how this could be the worst possible moment for Lucien Favre to to face a side when he's under so much pressure to get a little bit of a manager bounce. Um, and and everybody was up for it. It was a it was a packed stadium for the Olympiastadion, which it doesn't normally happen that much um, for Hertha because of the sheer size of it. Let's not forget it's a ninety thousand seater stadium. Um, sorry, eighty thousand seater stadium. Um, and that's that's a big draw for a, for a, a club of Hertha Berlin size. But when the likes of Bayern and Dortmund come, it does get packed out, and, and the anticipation was great in the, before the match um, on Saturday, and also the way they played as well. Um, but it's got a hard job because Hertha have, have been poor this season, um, you know, hovering in, in and around that relegation area, which is where they won't want to be. And yeah, Manu's right. I, I did look at why Klinsmann had been brought in, and it is specifically to. Um, protect that investment deal um, from Vindhorst because he's pumped a lot of money into the club and will continue to pump a lot of money into the club if he gets the extra um, shares and control in the in the club that he wants. But he can't um, he can't allow them to be relegated because it will just be so much money um, you know for them to lose. It could be up to forty million euros a season. Um, should they be relegated, which you know no investor can afford to lose? So this is why Klinsmann's been brought in. Um, he is a, he is a, a Hollywood sign-in. Um, he's a big name across the whole world of football. Um, big name um, here in England. Obviously played for Tottenham Hotspur. Um, obviously he's a German national player as well. Has played against the English national side. So he's a very well-known um, figurehead as, as a head coach for the club to take forward into the international market. So we'll have to wait and see, but. I think he was brought in um, to to be on the supervisory board, and Manu's quite right. That's where his skill set lies. So I, I can see this being um, a temporary move, which it's been touted as by Hertha as a temporary move, um, and then for maybe to bring in a new coach at the end of the season. Um, but for this season, for the what's left of it, it's all about Jurgen Klinsmann taking um, Hertha Berlin out of that relegation area, and it'll be key to see how he does it in the next few weeks because obviously he only had. Um, a, a day and a half really he came in Wednesday afternoon um, and then so he would have had Thursday a little bit of Thursday a little bit of Friday match Saturday can't really do much in that time apart from try and raise the players which 
He did, um, and you know, Hertha played well towards the end of that match. A little bit more quality, they could have given Dortmund a real problem. You know that he only has uh, clothes for four days at the moment. That's that's a big story over here uh, that you did you hear in uh, various papers, and that he said himself he has only has has a suitcase packed for four days worth of uh, underwear. So. I hope he has some time to do some shopping in Berlin and settle down a little bit. But um, the club is dreaming of bringing in Niko Kovac next summer um, to take over. Kovac is, of course, um, is born and raised in Berlin. That's his home. I think that actually, when you think about it, and Chris, curious to hear your opinion on this too, but I think he would be a fantastic signing for them. Because when you look at the work that he did at Frankfurt with the squad and how he elevated that club, I think that the, the problems that he had at Bayern with all those big names, I think at Hertha, he would be exactly the right person to come in as a builder, give the club the structure, a tactical idea maybe, and bring that club to that next level. Yeah, I really do agree with that because... I think we've said on this podcast a, a lot of times that Niko Kovac is an excellent coach. Um, he was just a, a round peg in a square hole at Bayern Munich. And I don't think any of us thought it would last when he went there. Um, and, and it turned out he, he probably lasted maybe 10 months longer than I thought he would. Um, but I think somewhere like Hertha Berlin, he would be the right man because, as you've said previously, this evening and you said on the last podcast when you go to Bayern Munich it's about the style of play that fits the players that are there and and the coach almost just guides them in the right way well Kovac has a set system he likes to play you saw that at Eintracht Frankfurt and you saw him impose that over a couple of seasons and by the time he left you know they were an excellent side knocking on the door of of the Champions League um you know and and the season after they went on and went deep in the Europa League so you can see the foundations that he's laid um at Eintracht and they're still there now Hertha could really do with with a head coach that comes in like that because he will raise everybody in the club he'll raise the supporters as well um and he'll allow Hertha to to play this attractive football, which they do, but sometimes they've they've just not got that extra edge to them they've got not got that dark side the you know the dark arts of football, which I think someone um, like Nico Kovac would bring in because we all remember back to that Frankfurt side you know they could stand on your foot, they could give you a kick, they could break up the play tactical fouls, but then they could also break and play exceptional football, and I think that's what Hertha Berlin are missing so I think Nico Kovac has earned a rest um, to recharge his batteries. They've got Jurgen Klinsmann. I think Klinsmann has got the the ability to to coach this side and the people he's brought in, who you mentioned, to to steer them out of relegation. If they finish fourteenth, perfect, absolutely no problem for them because next season they can hand over the reins to maybe someone like Kovac. And if it is Kovac, I think Hertha will be back to being where they have been for the last few seasons which is a, a, a mid-table to um, seventh-place side trying to get back into the Europa League at some point. And guys, can, can we talk a little bit about this uh, particular game? Uh, Chris, I might go back to you on this one. And you know, What did you see on the pitch that was possibly different You know that um, Klinsmann brought to the game? And I suppose we've got to talk about uh, Dortmund as well. And They've had a rather up-and-down spell. Um, what, what exactly did we see from them? They managed to obviously get the three points, but um, what were your takeaway points? 
Well, Dortmund needed a response. Um, Lucien Favre is obviously under immense pressure from the way that they've started. They then um, went to Barcelona and some problems around Jadon Sancho, etc., not making the starting lineup, coming off the bench, but it was it was all too late. So they needed um, a big win. Um, and I think that was Favre's job on the line. The AGM previously we spoke about, you know, um, Vatska and Zork both alluded to the fact that he had two games where they wanted to see a big um, a big performance and they didn't get that in the first one so they needed to see something in this Hertha game and um, I thought they they started a little iffy Dortmund they looked nervous um, inside the first inside the first 10 minutes or so that they were they were lucky not to go behind Hertha were obviously buoyed by the appointment of Klinsman and that new manager Baus at a full stadium um, in an electric atmosphere um, from the people that were packed in. Um, but Dortmund um, showed their strength um, with Sancho. Julian Brandt um, started to show the sort of performances that we saw um, by Leverkusen previously that have been hit and miss at Dortmund. He um, he played a great ball um, into Jaden Sancho, who finished well, by the way, for a player who is supposedly not very happy, scored a cracking goal um, in Dortmund midweek, um, played exceptionally well um, on Saturday as well. Um, and uh, and yeah, he so he looks like a player who maybe isn't particularly happy, but is certainly being professional on the pitch, off the pitch, maybe a different matter. But um they needed that early goal, that 15-minute goal, to, to calm their nerves. And then, lo and behold, two minutes later, Thorgan Hazard um, tips up with uh, with another good um, finish, another clever finish. Um, and, and that, I said Dortmund were flying at the time, and they were. But just like we've seen this whole season and maybe a little bit at the back end of the second part of last season, um, they always seem just one goal away from a collapse, Bryson. Um when um, Daria got the goal um, uh, from, it was a very lucky goal, really. It was a, a nice little poach off uh, Luca Bakayoko's shot, um, and, and that raised the stadium. And then Dortmund were really under the cosh. Obviously, Hummels then got sent off um, uh, for a second yellow. And then that second half, Bryce, um, it was pretty much all Hertha Berlin. And I put in a match report that they were just had that little bit of uh, lack of quality. Um, but then Dortmund were very resolute, put in a brilliant defensive performance. Um, Rafael Guerrero got kicked and booted all over the place. He was my man of the match. Um, started in midfield and then dropped um, onto that left-hand side of the central three after Hummels was sent off. Um, and I thought he played excellently. So there's a lot of good positive points for uh, for Dortmund, especially for Lucien Favre. But they need to keep that on. But for Hertha Berlin, um, yeah, there was some, some good, solid building blocks and foundations for um, Jürgen Klinsmann to take forward. What, what I would do and what I would say is because there was quite a lot of um, interest in Marco Gruwich previously. Um, was a, an English football writer on my flight home who'd been out to speak specifically to Gruwich. Um, he is a player that just needs to step it up a little bit. He's um, dropped down in the quality that he was showing, um, which I think would be a concern for Hertha because he was one of their best players, but also will be a concern for the player himself because at some point he'll come back to Liverpool where he's going to have to dislodge maybe one of the best three players in, in Europe at the moment. And I can't see that. And I know Manu thinks the same. Yeah, I do, I do agree with that um, assessment about Gruwich. He hasn't 
been at his best and I think he really needs to be um, both for Hertha to succeed but also if he ever really wants to play for Liverpool. Um, a different thought though, and this is maybe my hot take of the day, 10-man Borussia Dortmund in that second 45 minutes with the best defensive display they have shown all season. What do you think of that, Chris? Is that bang on? Yeah, I, I agree. They, they were excellent um, defensively. Maybe a little bit more quality um, from from the opposition might have tested them. Berkey made a, a couple of um, really good saves, but then I would say they are probably straight at him. Probably someone who will, who will, has got access to XG and, and is in love with it will tell me that's wrong. But um, I thought some of the shots, uh, if they would have been a, a little bit more difficult for him, he would have had a problem with. But um, Akanji, Zagadou, because Zagadou's been a problem for a while. He looked a lot better. Um, Akanji, excellent. Obviously, Hakimi can, can go forward and come back. Um, Guerrero showed his worth. Um but I think if someone like Julian Weigel would have been in that defence, I don't think it would have been as resolute as it was. So maybe Lucien Favre is learning about the players that he can rely on at the back to, to, to bail him out. But I think Dortmund will take a lot from that second half performance, Manu, because I think two, three weeks ago they would have collapsed and Hertha would have ended up winning 3-2 in the last few minutes. Manu, do you think that um, you know, Hummels being off the field says anything about that defensive performance you you're saying that they looked 10 men looked better than what they have done the rest of the season no i don't think that's because of hummels i think hummels um, with the exception of maybe the barcelona return game has been their best player all year um or since he joined uh, dortmund again no i think it's just that i thought their shape was really good and I think if someone else had been sent off and Hummels were still on the pitch, maybe would have seen the same thing. It's almost like, you know, even the goal that they, they conceded and that was chalked off because of Selke's offside, that was actually very good defensive positioning to get Selke to be in that offside position. Because, and, and I think it was um, David Ray who actually did the commentating for it. Um <laughs> Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC+. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. He said, like, either, you know, if, if it's onside, then it's a poor defensive positioning. If it's offside, which it was, then it's excellent. And it was offside. So, I, you know, I don't want to say it's because of Mats Hummels was off Bryce. I think that 
in general, the shape was just much better. Um, and I think the defensive shape has been a really big issue. I still think that we discussed this last week, they need a striker, but defensively, they just needed to, to sort this out um, and, and be more disciplined in a lot of ways. In the second half, all of a sudden, man down, hey, they did it. So uh, I think there's something to build on for Fabre. I think that happens though, doesn't it? You see a 10-man almost become pretty hard to break down. I know a lot of teams um, train these days with in a scenario that they have had a player sent off because it allows them to put that exact type of performance in. Um, whether Dortmund have trained for that is a different matter, but I think it sharpens the minds of the players. They knew that they were under pressure as players. They knew that their, their coach was under immense pressure. Um, they knew that they had a 2-0 lead, which had been halved after some good play by Hertha. And they had a, a, an entire second period to go with 10 men on the pitch. Um, and you could tell by the, the final whistle, actually, and the celebrations from the Dortmund staff, from Favre and his staff, and from the players over in the um, far left-hand corner of the Olympic Stadium with the Dortmund travelling supporters, um, is that they were really, really happy with that. Um, victory but I think they were more happy with the second half performance because of the danger that it carried good that you pointed that out with the celebrations because I noticed that too the the cameras right away zoomed in on Favre and, and showed him celebrating and you know he's been heavily criticized for not being emotional enough on the pitch at full-time whistle he definitely was and I think and this this is something that has been sort of the undertone a little bit um, when Bayern Bayern's Boateng was sent off in Frankfurt. That side fell apart. It was quite obvious that the communication between the coaching staff and the players had broken down. Here was the other way around. The Hummels was sent off, but the, the side responded really well, which maybe despite all the talks that you have with Favre not being heavy, happy with the players, the players not being happy with, um, with Favre, this did not look like a Dortmund side playing against the head coach. And I think that is maybe something, you know, Sork was saying um, this week, we want to make it work in this consolation. We want to make this relationship work. I think maybe they can. Um, you know, I don't think there is much of an alternative for Favre at the moment because they, there was a report today that emerged that even though Pochettino was sacked from Tottenham, clubs still would have to pay his exit clause, right? Um, I think... I think there is just no alternative at the moment for him. So I think they're going to make it work. And judging from that performance, the players, I think, are willing to make it work. Yeah, they they were really happy um, in a mix zone after. And Lucien Favre was uh, was all smiles around the um, flash zone uh, with all the various different media outlets. He's very happy, um, ha happy and smiling. I haven't seen him that happy since ooh, since the result against Leverkusen where they they ran out winners on you know by a country mile on that day. I haven't seen that sort of smile on his face since then and what's probably a good two and a half months ago. So it's going to be interesting how they go forward. It's how they build on this because sometimes a narrow victory under immense pressure like this can can give you a bit of a kick on and, and it's how they do that because we'll get into that start. Sorry, we're getting to that stage of the season now where um, if they can put on a good run before the winter pause, they could drag themselves back up at, up the table a little bit more um, into a more into a into a position that is more befitting of Borussia Dortmund in their mind um, than fifth. If they could finish in third um, for the first half of the season, I think that would make everybody a lot happier. And and you're probably right, Manu. 
it's the performance on the pitch. Um, and it could have all gone wrong after that, um, after Matt Hummels was sent off, but it didn't. They dug in almost as if they wanted to help their coach out, which is the sign of a, a healthy team and a healthy staff and squad. Yeah, things definitely looking uh, more positive for Faber after that result, they'll have a Fortuna Dusseldorf followed by Mainz um, and then setting it up um, against a big game um, against Leipzig. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure they'll be wanting to get uh, six points out of those next two before going into that one to make things look even sweeter. Um, let's talk um, about the late kickoff game on Saturday. We've seen champions Bayern Munich taking on Peter Boss's by Leverkusen. Um, Leverkusen coming out on top on this occasion. 2-1. It was Flick's first um, defeat as coach as he's uh, stepped in for Kovac. Um, the hot seat for the champions. Um, Manu, we, we've been um, rather critical um, of Peter Bosk um, at times. Um, always saying that you know his side will score, but they'll concede, and sometimes they concede more than they score. Uh, on this occasion, uh, Leon Bailey scoring twice and then running out winners, even though Bayern Munich had plenty of the ball. Um, I mean, is, what can we say about this? Was this a masterclass from Peter Bosk or a, you know, a minor slip-up for Bayern? Or, you know, what, what, I suppose, was your takeaway from this? Yeah, I have this down as a minor slip up for Bayern. Um, look, they had 75% possession. They hit the woodwork three times. I think Leverkusen still haven't quite figured out how they won this game. And uh, Leon Bailey got away twice and, and scored on both occasions. And I, yeah, I think it was, it was an unfortunate day in the office for, for Bayern and the, the entire, and the, the entire squad. Um, one maybe thing that you kind of have to worry about was the overall defensive shape that Bayern had in this game. We thought that under Flick, maybe that susceptibility to quick counterattacks was gone. And you saw in this match, well, maybe it isn't not. Um, Bosch clearly identified, uh, in particular Davies' uh, side, um, as a weakness. Um, you see that Alaba, um, Alaba, who is a left back, playing as a centre back, and Davies playing as a left back, who is not a left back. Um, the two kind of pull each other a little bit out of position. Dortmund did not challenge this. Um, Jaden Sancho, in particular, that night had an off night, so we never really found out how how vulnerable that that flank is. The teams that they faced after were Düsseldorf, um, Srena Svetzda, and of course before the Dortmund game, Olympiakos. So none of these sides were able to really test that. Um, Leverkusen did, and when they did, it was always dangerous. You know, you had high pressing players, Folland, Bailey. They, they when they put pressure on that flank, even when they only had twenty five percent ball possession, they they caused a lot of problems for Bayern. And I think that. You know, on a normal night, Bayern will score three or four goals in this game. Um, but when they do not, I think they still have vulnerabilities in that defensive four. And I think that is something that Flick will have to do some work on. But I don't want to don't want to talk too much about it because I do think it is a minor setback only, um, Bryce. Because when you look at Flick's record and the, the way the players are responding to his coaching, the, his his tactical build up, I, I still think that he is an he is an excellent coach for for this position. Uh, I, I actually, you know, you hear now rumblings that he could actually be a more than a short term solution for 
for Bayern. Um, Jupp Heynckes wrote an entire column in Kicker this week praising him as, as someone who could could establish a new era at the club. Um, I, I think that Flick is when you these are people that work in the game. You know, if they come out and say this in public. I think this is the highest praise you can get um, as as a coaching personality. Maybe he is ready to step out of the shadow um, of being an assistant only and being actually a head coach of a club. And I think he has the experience. I mean, we're talking about a World Cup winner here, right? The assistant of Joachim Löw. Um, and I think that if this result only becomes is a minor setback, um, which I think right now it is, I think he has a very good chance of maybe getting that position full-time. And Chris, uh, can I just go to you and asked very quickly um, a little bit about uh, Leon Bailey. I mean, um, a hell of a talent, a very quick uh, player you know, and, and very young. But it, it seemed like um, two years ago we, you know, when he burst on the scene, we, we, you know, he was mentioned every week. Uh, there was even talk of, you know, um, which I think was nonsense, but um, of him getting a call up by England because he had English family or whatever. So maybe that's why, especially me being based in the UK, heard about him so much. But um, he, he's been a little bit quiet, I think, in the last uh, few months. But you know, this uh, performance seemed to be uh, more the Bailey that we had, we had come to uh, know in the first place. Um, it, it was good to see a performance for him, but it, do you think there's any reason why there's been a few ups and downs or is it just that he's a young player? I mean, that's exactly it, Bryce. He's a young player. Um, I think in this modern world, people are far too easy to judge and write off players um, that aren't even 25. Leon Bailey's 22. If you look at two seasons ago, he's just fresh out of his teens. Excellent. Players go through development cycles and, and circles. And you know, Leon Bailey won't be the first um, young player to have a great season followed by a not-so-great season, and then get himself back in. When It's when he's 24, 25, that's when you'll see the best of him. Um, you know, not every player is Cristiano Ronaldo, not every player is Lionel Messi. They're not going to be the world's best performers week in, week out for 15 years. Um, players go in cycles. Leon Bailey's an exceptional player, uh, real talented, real good fit for Bayer Leverkusen as well. Glad for him that he hasn't made the disastrous move um, to either the Premier League or to La Liga, he stayed, um, or to even a bigger club like Bayern, for instance, he's in within the Bundesliga. He stayed at a club by Leverkusen where he can get the nurture and the development that, that he needs. And I think that's important for young players. Sometimes they're really keen to jump off and go and, and try their luck. Uh, Usman Dembele springs to mind instantly on that. You know, he's not having the best of time. Um, at Barcelona might have been different if he'd stayed at Dortmund. Um, you know, we saw in the game against Bayern Munich for, for Dortmund how Sancho was pretty poor. Well, that, that doesn't write off everything he's done before. It just shows that he's young and he's still learning. And, and that's the same with Leon Bailey. Um, you know, and he's played in a in a Leverkusen side that had 25% um, and won 2-1. Um, that is a, a turnaround and, and might even make Peter Bosch Look at the the way he plays football normally because it, you know it's it's not unheard of for um, Bayer to have seventy four percent possession themselves um, and and end up on the losing side. Um, I think the takeaway points for for Bosch there are they had a, a lot less possession, but they still managed thirteen shots in total. Eleven of those were on target. Okay, you're not going to face Bayern Munich and and have twenty four shots on target and them only score one goal and. Robert Lewandowski not to be anywhere near one of them goals. So, 
Uh, it's maybe um, a fortuitous day in that regard for them, but they've gone to the Alliance and won a great game, and one of their star players from the last few seasons has come up with the goods. So, yeah, excellent result for them, and something they'll have to um, build on um, in the next couple of weeks with a big derby against Cologne coming up and potential for them to qualify automatically for the Champions League or make the Europa League. Yes, indeed. Definitely a good day for Peter Bosk and Bayer Leverkusen. Um, that Bayern uh, slip-up um, seems to have uh, worked in the favour of RB Leipzig. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann and his team beat Paderborn 3-2. Um, they're on a fortuitous run um, and an impressive run, bringing them up to second in league with 27 points, uh, just one behind a glad bag. But this game... Started off with three goals in the first uh, 26 minutes and you got the impression that uh, RB were going to run away with it and did exactly what they did to uh, Mainz at the end of October and hammer them 8-0. But uh, Paderborn hung in there and managed to claw two back in the second half, leaving it um, somewhat closer um, Manu, a, a great day for uh, RB Leipzig and uh, two opening great goals as well and, and Patrick Schick getting his first with a fantastic turn and finish and then Sabitzer seems to have found um, form once again uh, with a long range drive and um, things are looking very good for RB Leipzig at the moment. Yeah things are indeed looking very good for Leipzig I mean we again almost sound a bit like a broken record here um, they have been very very good midweek qualified for the round of 16 of the Champions League early which is um, a big step for them because remember two years ago when they were in the um, in the Champions League they did not make it past um, you know they did not qualify for the round of 16 and to you really definitely see a lot of growth at the moment for this club and um, this result Chris messaged me um, he's like look at Leipzig and I think they were up 2-0 after 5 minutes and then they made it 3-0 after 15 and in the second half you saw a little bit of a almost of a reverse collapse to the the result against um, that that Paderborn had against Dortmund. You know they they almost coming back. Strilly and Mamba um, once again with a very very good game. I think um, and I think this is kind of important to note. You have to put this down to the fact that Leipzig have a lot of injured players right now. Um, Willy Orban is out with an injury. Ibrahim Konat is out with an injury. Peter Kulaksi um, is out. The goalkeeper is out with an injury that he suffered. In that game against uh, Benfica midweek, um, Kevin Campbell is still injured. Tyler Adams, the American, he's is out with a mystery injury. They're trying to figure out what's exactly wrong with him. Um, Stabilize his core. Um, it's a core issue. And then uh, Hannes Wolf has just come back from an injury. So you know they thankfully they have a very very deep side. Um, it's a very difficult style of football that they play. A very very strenuous style of football. And I think a lot of the players are kind of struggling with that. But for them to be in this position, be in second place um, at this stage, if they can hang on to that till the winter break and then, you know, a lot of these injured players are coming back, I think they will be a force to reckon with in the second half. Yes, indeed. Very exciting times for RB Leipzig. Yeah, they've been somewhat uh, impressive, haven't they? They'll be looking to continue that impressive run as they take on Hoffenheim next week. But top of the pile is still Borussia Mönchengladbach, who have uh, been somewhat surprising and very impressive this season, sitting in with 28 points. That's right, as I said, one point ahead of RB Leipzig. They beat 
another impressive side in uh, Freiburg 4-2 on Sunday. Um, Chris, we talked before coming on air just um, how special it is. Look at the Bundesliga uh, this season and this uh, match day um, again, um, you know, and, and see Borussia Mönchengladbach at the top, uh, along with then RB Leipzig and Schalke sitting in second and third. But uh, I, I did ask you the question, I was like, you know, what has been the difference uh, for Gladbach? And, well, you answered it rather simply, and I'll let you do that now. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, Marco Rosa has has brought a different style of, of coaching to the Bundesliga, which uh, we spoke a couple of weeks ago. It took a little bit of time for the players to get to grips with. Um, he's not just all about high pressing. There's a little bit more tactical elements to that. Um, but I think the main thing, particularly on this game, is he's got his front three scoring and he's got Briel Bolo playing exceptionally well. Um, and he's got strength in depth. Um, it was only it was a late substitution, but Alessana play is a, is a great player. I think um, he's he's able to bring off two man Brilembolo for to to bring him on. Um, that trio in midfield, um, headed up by Zachariah in the in the six role, I think plays very very well. Um, and and then they have got a good back four that I think have just been going around doing their business um, in a really professional way. Um, without anybody maybe paying too much notice to them. Um, and, and they are a, a defensive unit um, that normally um, is very resolute, leaked a couple of goals, obviously, to, to Freiburg today um, on Sunday, as, as we record. Sorry, yesterday. It's Monday now, isn't it, as, as we record this. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a tough game for them. Um, you know, Freiburg had been playing well. They were in fourth at one place at one point. Um, this result drops them down to sixth. But... We're getting to that real, Manu called it magical area now um, as we run into that winter break where for me, match day 10 is a a signal to start looking at the league table. Once you get to match days 15 to 17, um, then if you're top of the pile, you've got a real big shot at winning it come come May. Um, And if... Gladbach are still first or second um, come the winter pause. They'll be in with a big shout. But yeah, it is, it's probably very simple for me to just say, oh yeah, it's all down to the coaching. And, but it is because Marco Rose has brought a little bit of difference in and he's got the players operating on a high level. My, my only question, and I'll probably still be saying this in, in April, Bryce, is can it last? Yeah, well, that is the big question, isn't it? Uh, we've seen plenty of teams put a run together in the last few years while we've been doing this podcast, and I'm, I'm sure even before that, but uh, they haven't been able to um, keep it going, keep the legs, and, and keep Bayern Munich especially at bay, um, have they? But, um, yeah, very good point about uh, Briel Imbolo and him looking um, increasingly uh, impressive in that setup for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, obviously, he was previously at Schalke, and things. Um, while he wasn't a bad player, it just didn't work out for him the same, did it? It was 15 starts last season, five goals and one assist this year. He's already got five goals and two assists in eight starts. So, um, yeah, things are lo- definitely looking um, better for him, better equipped for him. And Manu, how do you feel about? Um, whether Gladbach would possibly have the legs to go um, well all the way or even just to get a Champions League spot by the end of the season, which would be a phenomenal achievement in itself. 
Yeah, I think she think we're going to find out quite a bit about that next week. And the, let's call it that, it actually is that, um, the Klassiker and the actual Klassiker um, between Bayern and Gladbach hosting Bayern, of course, on Saturday. I think we're going to learn quite a bit about where this Gladbach side stands at the moment when they host Bayern. Because <laughs> this is remarkable. If Gladbach beat Bayern in this game, they go seven points clear of Bayern. And I think, you know, we all talk about, okay, well, there's other sides in the standings, of course. Leipzig, we have to take very serious as well. But you always know you have, you're on the good side of things. The bigger the gap is between you and Bayern. Even when Bayern only finished third or fourth, you know, the gap between you and Bayern is always what matters because you know that Bayern can put in that run of 10 games at the end of the season and really close that gap. Dortmund figured that out the hard way last year, right? Other clubs in history have as well. So I think for them, um, as long as they keep Bayern at bay, that is that is good news for them. Um, the more distance there is between Bayern and Gladbach, the longer this run will last. And, you know, boys, I'm really excited about this game on Saturday. Um, sadly, I'm going to miss it because I'm going to be on a plane flying to Germany. But I'm definitely going to watch a recorded um, version of it because I think that it is... It is the return of the Klassiker in many ways. Um, you know, we always give that wrong attribution to to Bayern against Dortmund. And I mean, in many ways, it is a Klassiker now. But the original Klassiker was between Bayern and, and Gladbach in the 1970s because the two old teams won the most Bundesliga titles. Um, Gladbach in the 70s won five and Bayern won three. And I think we almost get a little bit of a sense that, you know, this season, maybe this could be the all decisive title clash and with all the history riding on this game this is going to be such a marquee matchup and I think for Gladbach it's going to be interesting to test themselves against Bayern because they will look at this Leverkusen game and the way Peter Bosch um, you know took out identified those weaknesses in Bayern's defense and um, really exposed them at times and I think the way Rose's team is built with those really quick attackers, Mbolo, player, Turam, um, Dennis Zakaria in midfield, really stringing things together. I think they have a really good chance. I think it's going to be a cracker of a game. Well, Manu, you've, you've just said um, what, what I, I was going to repeat more or less and saying that they've got such fast players and we've seen, you know, against Freiburg, you know, the, the attacking power that they have is scoring some excellent goals and moving so quickly. That you know, when it comes to this game of the weekend there at home, I think it's good timing for for Gladbeck. And you can say, sure, well they're top of the league, but you know, having good timing against Bayern is very rare um, for the rest of the Bundesliga. And I I'm kind of siding towards whether it's going to be a score draw or whether they're going to pip it. And I think I think they might actually do it. Um, I'm going to go out there and say I think they might actually beat Bayern. Um, they've got the best home record in the division um they've got a better you know a defensive record as well and i can see them causing some problems if not beating them and i mean if i put it to you fellas like let's go to chris even i mean how do you see the game panning out i think it'll be very difficult for Bayern. um gladback will go into the game saying yep yeah, we're top of the league with a with a team to catch with a team to beat at the moment you know come and play us and i think if they do that i think gladback could pick them off um which would be interesting to see how Bayern deal with that pressure. 
Um, I think it's a must-win game for Gladbach. If they have genuine, genuine title ambitions, it's a must-win game because Bayern will get into a groove and they will start to pick up points. So if Gladbach can take um, three points off them straight away, um, that's difficult because this is always the thing I have with, with Leeds. If you're nine points ahead of a team, but you've still got to play them home and away, well, that nine points is technically only three because six are up for grabs. So if Gladbach can take three points off Bayern, um, they'll have a real um, good chance and a good shot of winning the title. And they could potentially even do it before the teams play again at the back end of the season. Um, and th- I'm, I'm saying it's a must-win game, Bryce. For, for, that's for one reason. Secondly, if you fast forward just a couple of match days um, and we look at the, the, you know, the English Vokka, the midweek, um, Dortmund on the 17th of December, Dortmund have to play Leipzig. There's two teams that will be trying to catch up with Gladbach. So there's got to be a winner and a loser in that. Or the best result possible might even be a draw for Gladbach. Um, Gladbach will play Paderborn at home, one of the sides threatened with relegation, whilst Bayern have to travel to Freiburg. So this is why it's a must-win game for me, because if they can pick up three points there, then there's a match day on the Tuesday and the Wednesday, which gives them a real advantage to stretch um, that three points on Bayern even more. If they can, If they can pick up three points from Bayern and take a few off them as the season goes on. I think it could be a, a real plus point for them. So, yeah, that's why I'm saying it's a must-win game for them, Bryce, because if, if Bayern take four points off them or take all six points off them over the two games, um, I think they will win the league if we're looking at a two-horse race, which we're not, of course. Well, no doubt there'll be plenty more twists and turns as the Bundesliga season continues on. But uh, that more or less does it for today. I think we've covered plenty as always uh, Manu what have you got um, going on this week that you would like to possibly draw people's attention to yeah so actually I have quite a lot of content planned around this Klassiker there will be of course the, the, the regular preview on uh, Fußballstadt.com but I'm also doing something for the International Champions Cup um, I have a piece planned on it for um, Forbes as well um, so yeah plenty of content on that um there's match reports on the bundesliga i did the the roundout of this match day which will be updated of course today with the monday game for the international champions cup that's my weekly column on the bundesliga over there and um yeah i think that's it there's no midweek game so a bit of a quieter week oh yeah i'm, I'm going to this thing in in germany with chris uh he can tell you a bit more about that <laughs> well then, on that cue, we'll head over to Chris. So, Chris, what have you got going on this coming week? Yeah, like Manu, it, it's busy. Um, start of a new month, um, so that means um, some more content for Forbes um, on German and um, UK football. Desperately, Bryce, trying to get um, some Scottish football in there now um, because I'm conscious that I, I have a swim lane, as it's called, for the whole of the United Kingdom not just the Premier League. So, yeah, I need to, to really get some Scottish football in there. Um, but outside of that, obviously, we're building for the um, Bundesliga weekend that's come in. Really busy at the minute, Bryce, from a Premier League work. It's the most busiest time of the year um, as the Premier League games are, are going. There are 15 days in the month with a game on it. So, yeah, it's, it's getting real busy. Um, so, yeah, busy with Bundesliga and, and UK football. But what I would like to say, Bryce, is a big thank you to the guys over at, I'm sure Manu's going to tell me if I pronounce this wrong, um, Jure Nipper in Berlin, which is the, your pub translation. It's the home of the Werder Bremen fan club in Berlin who looked after me 
on Saturday night after the the game in um, in the Olympic Stadion. Uh, had a wonderful time. Um, wouldn't let me leave without giving me a glass, a Werder Bremen glass, um, and, and also some stickers and, and a signed card from Otto Rigo, which was which was great. So thank you very much to them. And if you are a Werder Bremen fan, and in fact if you're just a football fan and you're in Berlin, make sure you check out their pub because it's wonderful. Fantastic stuff, Chris. Nice one. And obviously, I look forward to reading up on any Northern Irish football that you uh, you cover as well. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, thanks a lot for tuning in, guys. As always, if you need more football in your life, head over on Twitter to at Football Grad Live. There's always plenty of articles, match reports, previews, and so much more on there. And that more or less does it for this week. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. And until next week, well, I suppose enjoy the true classicer. And with that, we say, obviously. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. Let's be real. Dealing with tangled cords can make it harder to do your hair. Break free with the new Unbound Cordless Auto Curler from Conair. Get the curls and waves you want, anytime, anywhere. It's designed to let you experience the power and freedom of beauty in motion. No cords to hold you back. You get your curls and waves your way. Unplug and be unbound. Loose curls, tight curls, beachy waves. The Unbound Cordless Auto Curler makes it easy to get the looks you love. Love your look. Live Unbound. Available at conair.com and search Unbound. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.